Welcome again to the Extreme Human Performance Podcast. Um, we have Carl Metzer joining us today. Um, thank you very much, Carl, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nicholas. It's always a pleasure to uh, chat to someone over the over the big pond. Yes, absolutely, indeed. And um, well, Carl, I mean, there was so much to cover here today, but. Um, we and I came across you from watching the recent uh, Red Bull documentary, which is now on uh, Netflix, um, on your speed record for crossing the America's Appalachia, and um, I hope I pronounced that right, trail. Um, and I thought the title was very fitting and made to be broken. Um, now, that was that was a huge distance. And perhaps you could um, just give uh, our listeners an idea of what, what was involved with that. Well, there's quite a few things involved with it, but uh, yeah. Um, the distance for the Appalachian Trail, we call it the AT um, in the U.S., but uh, 2,189 miles, um, so it's pretty far, <laughs> um, you know, almost uh, almost 5,000 kilometers. And you climb, the total climb on it is about 470,000 vertical feet. So it's it's a very hard trail. It's a typical um, it's a typical East Coast U.S. East Coast trail where it's very rocky very undulating. They don't use very many switchbacks. Um, you know, it varies a little bit. Some places are smooth, some are not, but there's a lot of road access to it. So when someone's going for a fast snow time on a trail, such as the AT, um, you're able to use a crew pretty efficiently. So that's kind of one, one of the things um, that makes it, makes it so great. Uh, you can use a crew and you can see your crew and get help. You know, at the same time, some of the records, um, you know, people will do it themselves. It's a very popular trail. Um, people start usually in the south in March, and it takes about five to six months, maybe longer, maybe less, but for most people to just walk it um, on a normal basis. So it's, it's, you know, about, I think about 3,000 people start it every year, and about 25% or 30% of those people actually finish it. So that kind of just gives you an idea that it's it's not a walk in the park, you know. It's a, it's a hard trail, and it's just something that I've always wanted to do, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I used to hike on the trail from New Hampshire, which is on the East Coast. So um, I always wanted to kind of hike the whole AT. And then when I had an opportunity to actually have support um, and that kind of thing, I was like, well, I'm an ultra runner, so um, why not go for this? And, um, you know, I mean, I, I took three tries at it. So I definitely uh, made a couple efforts at it. And then the whole idea with the, uh, the documentary was Red Bull um, brought this idea up to me and I was like, you know, absolutely, as long as it's still sort of done my way. In other words, I didn't have to do interviews after, after each day that I stopped and, and things like that. They can, you can certainly film it, but you can't, like, in, invade or, you know, get in my way, so to speak, if that makes any sense, you know. Um, so it was, it, was, it was really a pleasure to have them backing me, and, uh, you know, I'm glad I got it done. The film came out great. I was surprised it hit Netflix. Um, that just happened in July, I think, and it's had a lot of traction and uh, keeping my career going at age fifty. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, it was mind-boggling. I think it's just the the sheer length of time that's involved. I mean, to give our, our listeners an idea, when you when you mentioned the elevation, I think I read somewhere it was the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest sixteen times or something. It's, uh, it's it's the thing. Every single day, you you know, a, a new punch gets thrown at you. And if you go over the math, kind of do the math, um, we had to average forty about forty eight miles a day. And if you go forty eight miles a day, you, you're averaging about ten thousand vertical feet of climbing per day. So, you know, that's that's pretty tough. If 
you run a 50 mile race with 10,000 feet of climbing, it's pretty hard 50 miler, you know? So I had to do that every day and every day, day in, day out. The real challenge is, you know, once you, when you wake up in the morning, okay, I've got to do this all day again. Um, it's, it's, it's hard mentally, hard mentally to keep going like that. But I mean, I had a vision and, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I gave it everything that I got, everything that I had in me, uh, to try to break that record. And, you know, fortunately I came out ahead. I mean, I had issues, um, like most people that do the AT, whether they're walking it six months or you're doing it as fast as you can. Um, we all have issues, you know, I mean, if I get stung by a bee, I have an issue. Uh, so all these things happen. And, uh, I was fortunate to be able to push on through some of the, some of the bad days and, you know, deal with the pain and get to the finish line. So a lot of people say that, um, something about ultra runners, like, and successful finishers appear to be able to tackle, um, each race, each competition with small stages. So you're paying attention to, um, you know, your, your running speed, nutrition, but you're breaking it down into kind of goal setting all the way along. Um, and I suppose that applies to your, your pacing strategy. Is that, is that approach you take? Um, or do you just keep visualizing that finishing line? Well, I, Kind of take it day by day um you know you don't think really about how fast your pace is you just kind of get up in the morning the goal is always to to get out get out out of the van and moving by 5 a.m and then you kind of the pace is sort of dictated by the trail uh, when you're in the northern sections the trail is much more rugged so you might average you're going to average less than three miles an hour which sounds painfully slow but at the same time in the south the trails are a little bit smoother a little bit faster so you, you sort of you just kind of go all day and you know, with the Appalachian Trail having a lot of road crossings and things like that, you sort of have to go day to day, you know, have to get to road, whatever road it is, you just have to get to that point and not worry about how fast you're really going. Um, and that kind of, you know, it changes all the time. You can make an itinerary before the start of it, but it doesn't mean you're going to really stick to that because once you miss one one day of a certain distance and everything gets all screwed up. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's it's just, you take it day by day. I didn't really think about the finish until I was, you know, maybe five or six days out when you sort of, you know, sort of smell the barn a little bit. And then you sort of like, okay, I'm going to be done this thing eventually. Um, that's the thing. You can't really look at the whole big picture. You just kind of take it in pieces, just like you would if you're running a hundred miler. Um, you take aid station, aid station, you know, you don't take it start to finish. Um, at least that's how I treat it. And, and it goes by a little bit faster if you do it that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about nutrition because obviously you've got a huge amount of calories that you need to take and, and you're losing weight all the time. I suppose it doesn't matter how much you, you eat, you're, you're still losing calories. So what, what would be your typical meal plan across a, a typical 24 hours? And obviously you're accounting here for your metabolism and your different stages of the day, etc. cetera. Um, and how did those meal plans perhaps change over the 45 days that you were doing the, um, the competition? Well, yeah, calories, I mean, calories, 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 right? You just need to keep eating and eating and eating. And for me personally, um, that really doesn't matter what I was eating. I mean, I'm not really, a, I'm not really a, I'm not going to say I'm a dietitian. I'm hardly a dietitian. Um, but in terms of like what I did, I would eat a small breakfast in the morning and that could be anything from, usually I would just pound some yogurt, you know, something very simple. And then I would get me, get me moving. And during the day, it would just be a matter of like what my crew could, could access. Because a lot of times in the AT, there are a lot of road crossings, but that doesn't mean there's a lot of nice grocery stores along the way either. You're kind of, 
you're sort of uh, like the food hikers do. You you get food where you can, and so I would eat anything from. I mean, a cheeseburger at night was always wonderful because it was kind of fatty. You know, you want to eat a lot of actually fatty foods because that's kind of what you're burning eventually. You're you're basically pillaging from your body eventually. Yeah, I have butters. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. once once you get going, you know, you're after a couple of days, you're just like feed me. <laughs> you know, um, give me something, whatever you can find. I would eat. I eat, I eat anything. I mean, Danish ate a lot of chicken with protein too. Um, but whatever my, my crew could find was was fine with me at that point. Um, I, I only lost three pounds at the end, so I really basically broke even on that. And I think that is because I was eating a lot of fat and things like that. Not, you know, you can eat energy food like you would in a race, but that gets old pretty fast for 48 days. Because um, on a race, I would just eat gel or chomps or something that's, you know, super fast food. But on the AT, it's like it's more like you need big calories. Ice cream was a big winner, you know. Um, I could eat a pint of ice cream in five minutes, <laughs> which is crazy to think that. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, but you're so hungry all the time. It doesn't matter. You know, your body processes it very easily because you're really not moving that fast. I mean, you wouldn't do this in a in a 100-mile race or 50-mile race or something because your body just can't process the, the calories that quickly. But when you're just walking three and a half miles an hour is about what the average was. Um, it's not, a, you can eat, I mean, I could anyway, I could eat anything, you know. Mm. So I didn't really focus on specific things. I just let my crew take care of it, handle, handle all that stuff, and that was it. But we really, we were very efficient. Like I said, I had a real quick breakfast in the morning, and then I was gone. I would wake up at about 4.30, um, and I was gone by 5, which is pretty quick, you know, but doing a few other things in the morning too. I was gone at five, and then when I came to the van in the evening, um, my crew would already have dinner ready, whatever it may be, and I would sit down, you know, clean my feet, which is very important to keep your feet clean um, more than anything else. And uh, I would eat while I was cleaning my feet, while one of my crew would clean clean my feet up and stuff like that. I would ice my shins and eat at the same time, and I was in bed within a half an hour. So that was really that was really one of the reasons that um, I was able to get enough sleep, which is probably the next, you know, maybe the next question is like, yes. how much did you sleep? And well, my goal was always to uh, make, try to get eight hours of sleep per night. And that sounds like how, how can you do that during 48 miles a day? But it's, it's about the efficiency when you start and when you finish. Um, you can sit around when you're done and, you know, you can have a beer, you can relax, and all of a sudden you're chatting and all of a sudden an hour and a half goes by when you should really be sleeping. So I really focused on, when I was done, I was like, okay, get me to bed, you know? Um, and that was really important. I don't do very well with sleep deprivation. I, when I'm tired, I'm, I'm tired, <laughs> you know? So I was really, uh, really focused on, okay, when I'm done, I'm, I'm going to bed, you know? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of days I wanted to just hang out, but at the same time, it was like, well, I've got 30 more days to do this. I shouldn't be hanging out now, you know, I'll hang out later. So efficiency was a really important thing. And, and I suppose that links into, there must be a, a sleep debt. I mean, I spoke to a number of athletes that might only get, you know, three hours sleep. We had someone on here and the other day that has three hours sleep in five days. But when you're talking about this over 45 days, um, it's going to really impact you, you know, down the line. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's really interesting. And um, in terms of... You can't do it on four hours of sleep. You know, you no. can't do it on four hours of sleep for that long of a time. You, you will eventually catch up to you, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can do it for a week. But then it's like, 
you just then all of a sudden you lose all your energy and all your all your drive and all your mental like desire to keep going because you're just so tired. Yeah. You just want you just want to lay down and sleep. But so I, that was that was sleep was really an important thing for me. So in terms of preparing for the race, obviously you know running is you know um of course you know a huge amount of miles before but in terms of like strengthening exercise and try and prevent maybe injuries and stuff do you do a lot of weight training or even um you know yoga or or how do you prepare for um so that you're trying to offset you know build strength around the knee etc yeah i mean I, I i don't do yoga i don't i don't know i'm i'm okay with it but i'm so non-flexible it's pretty funny but the whole thing is um what I did really was not specific strength training, but instead of, you know, obviously I'm a runner, you know, and I ran a lot of shorter races, those are all running and running pretty hard. But what I really did is I focused more on hiking the same type of terrain that I would see on the AT. So it was, I was more specific to, the training was more specific to what I was going to be, uh, you know, tackling on the Appalachian Trail. Instead of doing runs or tempo runs or things like that, it was really all about just, just hiking a lot. You know, even downhill where, where I could easily run, I would sometimes walk very fast downhill. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but that actually, I've been hiking a lot just recently now too, and it's, it's different, you know, it's different than running, it's different muscles. So I was really specific about just making sure that I was a hiker, you know, because the AT, you know, you know, when you run on the AT, when you try to break records like this, you can say that you're running, but you're really not running very fast, you know, you're you're sort of jogging the gradual downhills when, when the trail's a little smoother, you know, you're not, you're not really forcing the pace. So I just kind of dictated the pace that I would have on the AT and that was kind of how I did it. And, and as you go along, you know, over a long period of time like this, like we say on the AT, you really get your trail legs after about three weeks. Mm. And then all of a sudden it all just becomes, everything's all the same. You know, it's like, it doesn't, your, your legs are used to getting up, used to going 40 miles a day. A lot of the people that, the through hikers that hike, they might do, you know, they have to average about 15 miles a day to get done in five months or something. So they still have to walk pretty far, but it takes about a month to sort of get in that groove where you wake up and you're not sore anymore, um, things like that. I would just, I just was real specific about how I was, what I was doing with my hiking a lot instead of, instead of doing tempo or weight training or something like that. I, I tend to find myself, I mean, I, I like to be outside and do things outside. Um, going to the gym and that kind of stuff just it really bores me. So I just I kind of stay away from things that I really don't like doing. And you know, it may have helped me to, to do other things, but at the same time, um, I really focus my life in, in a lot of different ways that I'd rather just be enjoying what I do instead of always thinking about the critical areas to, to work on. You know, I, my critical area to work on is just to have fun. And uh, you know, I've been really fortunate all my life and my career to to do well, you know, with this method, if you want to call it that. Um, but it's, I think everybody should just think, focus more on having fun instead of getting so specific about, you know, the details. I mean, the watch that I use is a little tiny Casio, which is 10, you buy it for 10, 10 bucks. You know, I don't really use the watch that, that everyone gives all this data and stuff like that, because I really don't think, I mean, it is, it is good, but at the same time, um, for me, it's not something I really care so much about. I sort of just, I, I run on feel and I train on feel and how my body feels all the time. So that for me is that it's worked, you know, and as I coach people, I try to teach them to, to listen to your body a lot more than just look at the data, you know, because mm-hmm. your body is really telling you what you need to do. The data can help, but your body is really the one that knows.
yeah that's no that's certainly the feedback we've been getting from um a number of uh long long distance um particularly in the you know the ultra distance events um but uh i'm sure you've got a dozen sub stories of um uh, extreme difficulties that you have faced you know in 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 this um or or indeed your your whole list of different um 100 miles um races um was there anything that um, particularly stands out um that's a story that you know, shows you know the effect of maybe heat stroke or or even altitude um you know on on running performance yeah, well, um, I don't know. I mean, on the on the heat, I don't do well in the heat. <laughs> I think that's that's something that I really, you know, with with heat, it's a tough question for me. With the heat, um, I just try to focus on staying cool. I'm not. That doesn't mean drinking a lot of water. It means keeping your body wet. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're on Western States 100, um, you'll find that sure you need to drink a little extra water because it's 100 degrees, but pour some water over your head and you feel a little better because it's sort of external cooling. Um, on the AT, there were a lot of there were a lot of things. There were some real hot days. There was some bad weather. Um, not too much bad weather. I was very lucky, but uh, you just kind of have to adapt to the situation, you know, and try to keep yourself happy. <laughs> and and like I said, you know, I run on feel, and your brain is your it's, it's really all between your ears. Yeah. Like you say with a golfer, you know, it's it, the, the swing or the golf swing or hitting a ball is really between your ears. And if you can stay positive, then you know, you'll generally be successful. Not all the time, of course, but um, most of the time, if you can stay positive in your head, then you're gonna you're gonna do all right. And that's really what, again, that's kind of what I what I focus on. Is that with these hard when things get tough, when in hundred milers, when things get really hard, when it's really hot, or when I'm I'm having a low point. At this point in my career, anyway, I sort of just laugh at those times because I'm like, well, here we go. This is my low point. Um, how am I gonna bounce out of that? You know. A lot of times that is related to not having enough calories because once you once you put calories in your body your body's happier right you're you're full you're 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 burning you're burning carbohydrates you're burning your calories yeah so your yeah. body's happy yeah it's like why to go to survival mode it's crazy i mean if you think about it you know many times people will drop out of hundreds oh i wasn't feeling it i had some low points i'm tired or whatever it is um my answer to that is eat something you know doesn't have to be a special formula. Just eat something, and and a lot of times your your brain starts reacting, and you start and things start working better again. It doesn't, you know, that classic line of it doesn't always get worse um, is so true, especially when you do these long things like I was doing on the AT. Um, I sure certainly had low points, but I had to tell myself, well, tomorrow might be better. You know, tomorrow might be a better point. I had bad. I had a couple of really bad days. Um, on the AT this year, or this year, 2016, can't believe how fast time flies, right? Um, but it's amazing how, you know, I have a really bad day, and the next day you can wake up and you're just, you're perky and you feel good, you know? Um, you got to keep telling yourself that, because with ultra distances, you're going to have low points. Um, of all the, of all the 7,500 mile races I've run, about about 75, um, only about five of those races probably were, were perfect, you know? So, that's, I mean, that's a small percentage, you know, that was all perfect. So it's a matter of like how you deal with the issues, how you deal with the pain and the suffering. Whoever deals with that the best usually comes out ahead. Hmm. Um, that's, that's just, I mean, you know, whether you're the back of the pack or the front of the pack, it doesn't really matter. It's about how you deal with the issues um, is how, you, how you're successful. Hmm. Absolutely. And I suppose the final question I wanted to ask was, um, 
talking about a perfect race and and obviously this is a a short distance event shall we say but in berlin um we had a, a the winner um was one minute 39 seconds short of uh the the you know the the two hour um you know it's like the four minute mile and well i suppose yeah. i got two parts to ask us what you know from a runner's perspective and you know i appreciate it, it's a different event what what do you think is the maybe the missing uh the secret source to getting over that two hour mark um and do you think you know like the four minute mile in 50 years time we'll be looking back and be like well it's just a mindset or you know that that that's definitely possible what, what what's your thoughts on that well what what, what Kipchoge did in berlin is just so incredible i mean i think you know as as we look at life and and as the world turns right everyone's getting bigger and faster right like basketball players are taller and they're stronger and they're bigger Runners are becoming more efficient. Um, 
Huge eagle. He looked like he could have kept going, you know. Yeah, I, I like. I was reading the report afterwards that the pacer had to drop out because he was running so far. He ran the second half of the marathon faster <laughs> than he ran. I think it was fifty nine minutes thirty seconds or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it, crazy. yeah, and I think um, we we had a had a event on and we brought in the some of the Nike lead physiologists that were for the two hour breaking two records. Um, and he was breaking down how they were trying to, you know, it's, they almost approached it a bit like, uh, what swimming did, you know, when they, they set all these times, um, you know, that that's the time that will be needs to be broken. So you're almost breaking it down. Where can we get the gains? Um, yeah, it's very interesting, but, um, but nevertheless, the, this, this 45 days, I mean, I would definitely encourage any listener that's, um, listen to this and um, to check it out on netflix i i watched it um and I, I had to go for a run afterwards i was <laughs> i was uh, feeling guilty but but no what what's um what's uh, the next uh what's the next challenge for you well that's a good question i was i've been asked that ever since i finished the at what's next carl well you know i have a few records that are out there that are that are pretty long um the the 40 100 mile wins is something that's going to sit for a little while and no one's real close to that so at least i can kind of watch that i'd like to build on that maybe just a little bit more which which kind of sounds like old cliche will keep you know keep winning hundreds while i am getting older i'm i'm almost 51 so it's like that's going to come to an end fairly quickly um i don't really have a very specific project in, in line right now i'm sort of just enjoying the fact that um i'm sort of enjoying the fact that i don't have something on the plate there's no stress in my life right now not really anyway um, but I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep doing what I do and, uh, you know, I'll come up with something. I have, I have some ideas of some, some long trails and stuff like that, but I sort of have to be also realistic because, um, unfortunately you have to be, we all get older, right? And, and I'm at the point now where I am slowing down, but at the same time, um, I can still endure the, the issues that I was talking about earlier. I can still deal with that stuff. So I have to kind of try to find something that, inspires people to to get out there again you know and that might be it might be another long trail it might be just doing something shorter and faster but in reality i just like to see people get out and get get off the couch you know and go out and do something it's yeah. so much better to see people moving uh in the u.s you know we're very sports is very different in the u.s than it is in europe um i really look at europe as being very individual you know there's there's mountain range there's it's just different in the U.S. Everybody kind of watches the football games and the baseball games, and that's and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, it's very different. I'd rather see us be more individual and get out and do something crazy. You know, it's the, the whole last ten or fifteen years of extreme sports has really changed what a lot of people do too. I mean, you know, people weren't jumping out of planes and people weren't um, doing long trails like they, like they are now. I think this FKT thing is something that I have to find the right FKT to chase right now. You know, um, that's something and the long trail in Vermont is sort of on my mind and it's, that one's only 270 miles. So it's, that's one of those sleep deprivation runs that might kill me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. It, 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 it's, always, it's a really hard question to answer when I've done so many things in my career that what is the next thing? You know, I don't, I don't really know. I think, I think it will come to me. I think most most of my life things have fallen into my lap, whether it was running or going skiing or whatever it is. Um, it'll come to me, and I think when it comes, it'll be something special. Yeah, yeah. Almost all, and of course, like you say, and you know, enjoy it at this stage. You know, you want to do something that that really stands out after all your um, 
previous success. Well, thank you very much, Carl. I really appreciate your time and coming on the podcast and sharing your stories. And, and you know, look forward to uh, to catching up uh, at some future point. But thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Always, always a pleasure to chat. And, you know, if there comes another time when my special moment comes, uh, we'll chat again sometime. Brilliant. Thank you.